You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Welcome, 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 friend. I'm TK, your tour guide to the past, and you are listening to For the Love of History, the podcast where we talk about world history, women's history, weird history, and spooky history for the month of October. Are you a lover of the mysterious, the otherworldly, monsters and ghosts and demons, oh my? I know you are because you're here, and today we have our annual yokai episode, a tradition which I have come to love so much. Last year, we talked about a mishmash of yokai, but this year, we are sticking to one category, lady yokai. I have searched through the multitude of yokai that exist and came up with a list of three of what I think are the most vengeful lady yokai there are. Also, super quick trigger warning, friend, there is a brief mention of domestic violence in this episode, so if you need to skip, totally fine. We only talk about it for like 30 seconds, but I just wanted to let you know. Okay, so without further ado, I need you to grab yourself some hard candy, and I will explain later there's no time. And let's get to it. This is Editing TK. Uh, thank you so much for your patience with this episode coming out a few days late. Okay, enjoy the episode. Bye. Creepy, dangerous, magical, and otherworldly creatures in Japanese folklore all fall under the category of yokai. Throughout Japanese history, yokai have gone by many names. In the Heian period, they were called oni. In the Edo period, they were called bakemono, and from the Meiji era onward, they were called yokai. During our spooky Halloween episode season last year, we had an episode about the most deadly yokai and discussed their history as a whole, so I'll just give you a few quick refreshers before we talk about our first lady yokai, and if you haven't listened to that episode... What are you doing, friend? Go back. Go back and listen to that episode because it's a good one. It's a good one. So the kanji for yokai is two characters. Yo meaning attractive or bewitching or calamity, which is a really fun combination of words. And kai meaning suspicious, mystery, and apparition. All yokai fall somewhere in that spectrum of adjectives. It would almost be impossible to count all of the different yokai that exist in Japan. Yokai are incredibly regional, and even the most common mythical creatures in Japanese lore differ from place to place. The variety of yokai is one thing that I think makes Japanese mythology so interesting. 
There are yokai like the umibozu that are just like giant black monks that live in the ocean. There's also the shoujo, which is a drunken ape that hangs out on the beach and is genuinely curious about humans and asks them to like have a drink with it. <laughs> it's just a drunk little monkey. I mean, ape, excuse me. It's a drunk little ape that chills on the beach. There's also the ever-present tanuki that is a flying raccoon dog thing with a giant ball sack that it uses to fly. <laughs> it's also a shapeshifter that can trick you or make you super lucky. There's also a yokai called the Ushi Oni and it's a demon spider cow with a sword for a tail. <laughs> I can't make this stuff up. It's real. <laughs> you can. Okay, little side note. I used to live in a totally different place. I used to live in a place called Ehime, the prefecture of Ehime. And in one of the neighboring towns, they have a whole dedicated festival to the Ushioni. And they have these giant, like, uh, what are they called? Marionettes? Yeah, they're like giant, huge, like giant, giant, the size of a bus marionettes of these Ushioni spider cow sword tail demons and it is it's excellent to watch if you ever get a chance to go I highly recommend it but I digress you can also have Baku the dream eater its head is an elephant its legs are from tigers and its tail is an ox's tail and its whole job in life is to eat your nightmares and protect you and just generally make sure that the vibes are impeccable. But there are also yokai that you never, ever want to meet in your life. Because if you do, it almost certainly means death and or destruction. Yokai have been a major part of Japanese literature since the 700s and really gained popularity during the Meiji era. era. <laughs> era and now have crossed over into anime and tv and movies but today my friend because it is the spooky season we will not be talking about the friendly dream eater guy or the ape that just wants to get drunk and like chill out with you nay nay dear one today we will be talking about three of the deadliest and most vengeful women yokai and we will get started with the Jorogumo. Jorogumo can be translated in a few ways. Kumo, which means spider, only means spider. And when Kumo is joined with another kanji, the K turns into a G, thus giving us Gumo instead of Kumo. And this kind of thing is really common in Japanese language. That's super straightforward. But Joro can have two meanings. One, means the woman attendance of royalty, and the other means prostitute. I've seen both translations, and it remains a debate even today which one is the correct, air quotes, correct way to write it. Written in modern kanji, their name means the entangling bride, Joro Gumo. And the use of spider in its name is not merely a coincidence, my ghostly ghoul friend. Because the Jorogumo is, in fact, a spider lady. A terrifying, man-eating spider lady. The legend goes that the Jorogumo are created 
when their real-life counterpart, the Golden Orb Weaver, reaches 400 years old. And I just have to pause. I have to pause because I have the heebie-jeebies right now in my, like, in my whole body. It's itchy because we're going to talk about spiders. And the Golden Orb Weaver is the most terrifying spider that I have ever seen in my entire life, in real life. I absolutely hate it because I do. I see them all the time. They're everywhere in Japan except for Hokkaido, which is really unfair and upsetting. They are yellow and black and freaking huge. And some of them get big enough to eat birds. Not like small little finches. No, no. Nay, nay. Like big ass crows. Big birds. <laughs> Not big bird, but you know what I mean. <laughs> So when these real-life terrifying monster spiders turn 400 years old, they get to live their creepy life as an even creepier spider lady demon that will disguise itself as a sexy lady and then catch you in one of her very Spider-Man-y-like webs. Legends say that she can shoot them out of the spider legs that emerge from her back when she's in her true form. And they can also retract. She can shoot them out, catch her prey, and then retract the spider webs. After the handsome young man is in her clutches, she wraps them up and slowly poisons them until they die. Or, if she's particularly vindictive, she slowly kills them as they come and see her every day because the poison is addictive and the poor men fall in love with her. Both the real-life spider and the yokai live fairly solitary lives. The jorogumbo can be found in abandoned houses, in the city, deep in the forest, and really loves living inside waterfalls and their neighboring ponds. There are no male jorogumbo, and there are a few reasons for this. Number one, and the non-sexist reason is that the real-life female golden orb weaver spiders are the biggest, brightest, and most deadly. So, bippity-boppity-boo, you got a 400-year-old lady spider that turns into a lady spider demon. But there's also another reason why women are the only ones that are jorogumo. Now, this is not 100% confirmed. But it is speculated that the other reason why Jorogumo are only women is because weaving, specifically silk weaving, was women's work. And what is very close to silk? Spiderwebs, of course. So there you go. Boom. Sexism. Love that. <clears throat> but <laughs> fear not, my lovely creature of the night. The Jorogumo definitely balance out the gender inequality because they only go after men. Now, in my research, I did find one example of a Jorogumo that was kind. So kind, in fact, that people nearby created a shrine for her and treated her like a goddess. She lived in the pond beside a village called Kashikobuchi. And when the people fell into the pond, she would rescue them. And thus, the people were like, yeah, this one's a good one. We like her. And she liked them back. If you happen to come across the 10 bazillion other Jorogumo that were not nice and enjoyed saving people, you could escape their clutches by attaching her web to a stump. The usual Jorogumo tale goes a little something like this. A young, handsome man is alone, 
maybe looking for love in the city or just traveling alone in the forest. He then comes upon a gorgeous woman who offers to take him to her place for refreshments. He's either like, yeah, I'm super into that, or he's suspicious of her and tries to kill her right away. But usually in the end, he gets the spiderweb burrito special and becomes Spider Lunch. Have you ever wondered what really happened to Amelia Earhart or the lost colony of Roanoke? Do you ever find yourself scouring the internet for vicious Victorians and their murders by gaslight? Or perhaps you're just sick and tired of women being constantly misrepresented or plain lied about throughout history? If so, join me, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books on Who Did What Now? The history podcast that's not your history class. Part of the Area of Media Network. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Adios, au revoir, au revoir, zen, my friends. Bye-bye. I'll be seeing you. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. As we go down the list of Lady Yokai, they get more vengeful. And our next spooky lady is uh, is like Joker-level vengeful, probably because, like the Joker, she too had her mouth slit ear to ear. She is the Kuchisake Ona, the slit-mouthed woman. Her story most often appears in writing during the Edo period, but tales of the Kuchisake Ona really took off in the 1970s and the 1980s. The spirits of people who die in particularly violent or gruesome ways do not fare well and often become yokai. A woman who is killed violently may turn into one of the most deadly kind of yokai. It's said that because of the violence of the 70s and 80s, more Kuchisaki Ona stories popped up all over Japan. People began blaming Kuchisake Ona for the disappearance of people and more specifically, children. It became a panic in the 1970s. There were more police out. Children were not allowed to walk home alone. Even adults started forming groups to walk together at night. 
Media outlets began running more and more stories about these Kuchisake-ona sightings, which fueled the panic. And due to the mysterious violence of the 1970s and 80s, people really thought that the Kuchisake-ona was back, brought forth from all of the violence that was happening during that time. So what makes this slit-mouthed woman so scary and vengeful? Well, she likes to murder people especially kids, on their way home from school or walking home at night, which is just delightful. If you are unfortunate enough to see a woman, usually on a bridge or a side street, standing alone in the dark, you have probably stumbled upon a kuchisake ona. But she won't kill you right away. If you answer her question correctly, she'll let you go. But the problem is, there's no correct answer. Kuchisake-ona are very beautiful. In every story, they have long black hair, beautiful clothes, and bright eyes. But of course, their mouths are covered. In the Edo period, the Kuchisake-ona covered their mouths with fans or the sleeve of their kimono, which was super normal back then. And in the modern stories, they wear a surgical mask, which is also super normal in Japan because it's like a courtesy thing. If you feel under the weather, you just slap on a mask. So that's not weird at all. So at first glance, the Kuchisake-ona seems normal. But when you get closer, she turns to you, mouth covered, and asks, am I beautiful? And you'd think that the answer would be yes. And then you could escape and be on your merry way, but no. If you answer no, she will immediately kill you with her big ass scissors that she has. But if you answer yes, then she'll show you her mouth and ask again. Am I beautiful? And if you say no, boom, dead. But if you say yes, she does not believe you. And you are also dead. If you try to turn and run, she magically appears in front of you. And then boom, dead. The only way you could survive at all is if you, one, give her a complicated answer and confuse her and then try to run. Or, and this is my favorite, you can throw hard candy at her feet and she'll scramble to pick it up because she loves hard candy. <laughs> Why? How? Who figured this out? I, j I, have, I have not the faintest idea. I could not find the answer. One of the original Kuchisake Ona stories goes a little something like this. In the Heian period, there was a samurai that married a gorgeous woman. Her beauty was known far and wide, but it was only skin deep. She knew she was beautiful and would wander around the village asking the people that stared at her, Am I beautiful? Soon, the woman's eye began to wander, and when her husband found out that she had been unfaithful, he attacked her and slit her mouth from ear to ear. As he walked away, he said, 
who will think you're beautiful now? She soon died and returned as a vengeful Kuchisake Ona, still asking those unlucky enough to meet her, Am I beautiful? Ooh, I don't know about you, but I've got the heebie jeebies. <laughs> but we're about to get more heebie jeebies because our final yokai is a fun serpent vampire lady combination. I love that for us. <laughs> Nure Ona is her name, and sucking blood and killing innocent passerbys is her game. She is a 300 meter long serpent with sometimes arms and sometimes without arms, but all the time, terrifying. She lives in any body of water, mostly the ocean, and is always wet. Hence her name, Nure Ona, which means wet woman. Nure means wet, and Ona is one way to say woman. But woman is a very loose term for what she is. She may have the head of a woman, but that is simply a glamour that she uses to lure in her unsuspecting victims. There are two ways one can become ensnared by the nude ona. One, you're walking along the beach and you see a beautiful woman washing her hair. And out of curiosity, you walk up to her because you're, you're a curious little cat. But she is no ordinary woman. And the closer you get, the larger the knot in the pit of your stomach becomes. Something is off about this woman. But you continue to venture closer, not really understanding why. That is the pull of the Nure Ona. But she does not like to be disturbed, and you quickly find yourself trapped in her unimaginably long and strong tail. She slowly pulls you closer, and you gaze upon the last face you will ever see. Not a woman's, but a demon's. To me, the Nure Ona is the most vengeful because she kills without rhyme nor reason. Good people, quote unquote good people, bad people, men, women, children, anyone who just so happens to be where she is. The Nure Ona is incredibly powerful and is said to be able to crush a human like a bug. But instead of using brute force, she prefers tricks. The most common Nure Ona story goes a little something like this. A wayward traveler finds themselves wandering along the beach when they begin to hear the cries of a baby. Off in the distance, a woman drenched in seawater, battles the waves with a bundle in her arms. The traveler rushes over to help her escape the waves. The woman gratefully gives them the bundled baby, and the two escape the riptide. But soon, the bundle becomes heavier and heavier and larger and larger. The woman begins to cackle and change. Her body no longer human, but 
an enormous snake, and the bundle no longer a baby, but an illusion. The traveler is pinned between a huge rock and the beach. Waves slowly come in with the tide, and the Nureona waits for its prey. so spooky. Well, dear one, we have come to our final thought, and I don't want to leave you with nightmares right before Halloween. So I will quickly tell you about my favorite yokai that I found during my research. It's so freaking cute, and I want one in my house so bad. So the yokai that I found that I am absolutely in love with is the hahakigami, the broom spirit. It's literally a sentient broom that just helps you out. If you have a hahakigami in your house, it ensures that childbirth will be quick and painless as possible because the baby is like literally swept out fast and clean, which is <laughs> a weird analogy, but also thank you. <laughs> it also acts as a charm against guests who overstay their visit. This is the perfect yokai for any introvert whose social battery has totally expired or literally anyone whose social battery has expired we all need a haha kigami in our house <laughs> they will make sure that those troublesome guests leave at the appropriate time and in my opinion the best thing about the haha kigami is that it just it likes to sweep up leaves on a windy day <laughs> my heart <laughs> yeah like, it may feel ridiculous because the leaves just blow right back in to the house or wherever the hahakigami was sweeping, but it just really thinks it's fun to dance around and sweep up all of these leaves. And if that isn't a lesson in doing what makes you happy, even if other people think it's dumb, I don't know what is. So please be like the hahakigami. Well, my delicious little donut, that is all she wrote. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you're listening to this before Halloween, have a safe one. And if you're listening to this after Halloween, I hope that you had a lovely time. Even if you don't celebrate Halloween, I hope you had a lovely day anyways. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and a review on your favorite podcast. <laughs> your favorite podcast platform. I can't tell you how much that helps other people find For the Love of History and join our little community. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can join Patreon and listen to the first episode of Sleepy History, which is out right now. The second one will be out in a few weeks. And Autumn postcards will be coming out soon to Patreon members, but no pressure. Remember, I'm just happy that you're here. If you'd like, you can send me a message letting me know what you thought about this or any episode. If you have an episode idea, please let me know. And before we part, please do something that makes you happy. Drink your water. And I will see you next week when we talk about when ancient rituals become religion. Okay, bye! Why is there a metronome right now? Okay. <laughs> what did it take to survive an ancient siege?
Why was the cult of Dionysus behind so many slave revolts in ancient Rome? What's the tragic history and mythology behind Japan's most haunted ancient forest? We're Jen. And Jenny. From Ancient History Fangirl. Join us to explore ancient history and mythology from a fun, sometimes tipsy perspective. Find us at ancienthistoryfangirl.com or wherever you get your podcasts.